Hey everyone, nice to talk to you again. I am really excited to bring you this episode. I know I say that a lot. I'm excited to bring you every episode or I wouldn't record them, but Charlie, our guest today, is phenomenal. And this is one of these episodes that if you're somebody that tends to listen to this on your drive or maybe while you're walking the dog and you rely on the first kind of 15 to 20 minutes to hook you, um, I'm really going to urge you to make sure that you listen all the way through to this one, everyone in particular, but especially this one, because once Charlie gets warmed up, he goes and he's a phenomenal storyteller. And at first you may find yourself thinking like, okay, what's he referring to? What's this? What's that? And then the floodwaters and the, or the floodgates open up and he just, just trust me, you're going to want to listen to this. It's filled with tactical insight. I promise we wanted to do this episode, even though there's a lot of episodes I've done in the past about coaches trying to find their way and, and issues with pay and people not being able to really always stay in coaching. I mean, guys, listen, the statistics show that Within strength and conditioning or training in general, the turnover can be as high as 40% per year. And that's not just in sports performance or personal training. This happens in sport coaching as well. It's a job that a lot of people love, but not a lot of people can afford to do or stay in. And so we talk about some of these things because again and again on social media, we see stuff uh, come up about pay and issues with pay and how do I do this? Or some people saying it's not about the money and, and kind of guilting other people who are trying to make some money. And just if you're somebody that wants to stay in this over the long haul and find solutions for how you can do so, this is for you. I really, really, really do mean that. So make sure you pay attention. Now, some insight. Dr. Charlie Weingroff is literally one of the most sought after professionals in the world in physical therapy and athletic performance. He's a doctor of physical therapy, a certified athletic trainer, a certified strength and conditioning specialist, and he's worked with a wide range. We try to make sure everybody talks about, you know, range and making sure that you diversify your experiences. Well, he's done it. He's worked with celebrities, professional athletes, as well as just the general population looking to get out of pain. So whether you're a coach listening to this or somebody that's just curious, about this field in general, or maybe you're in the business world and this stuff just is interesting to you, he has got something for you, I promise. Um, he is currently the physical performance lead and head strength and conditioning coach for the Canadian men's national basketball team, which currently tops all foreign countries with a total of 20 active players in the NBA. And Charlie and I typically come across each other when we're lecturing specifically overseas. He's worked with Beijing Yandeng training company. Uh, he's brought them, he, he's gone through mainland China a number of times over the last five years, and we bump into each other a lot. So Listen, these are really important topics and a couple of other things. Make sure that you guys check the show notes. I always try to put pertinent links there, whether it's for the podcast reflection or anything else. And if you're interested in diving deeper into career-related topics, be sure to check out my course, Valued. If you go to artofcoaching.com and you go to the digital courses, you will see it. Valued is for anybody that wants more know-how and understanding about business-related topics, financial management, avoiding burnout, check those things out. We put a great deal of effort into those resources. If you just have questions in general about how to manage sticking points within your career, Valued is that resource. All right, enough from me. Let's get right into the episode with Charlie Weingroff. Welcome to the Art of Coaching Podcast, a show aimed at getting to the core of what it takes to change attitudes, behaviors, and outcomes in the weight room, boardroom, classroom, and everywhere in between. 
I'm your host, Brett Bartholomew. I'm a performance coach, keynote speaker, and the author of the book, Conscious Coaching. But most importantly, I'm a lifelong student interested in all aspects of human behavior and communication. I want to thank you for joining me. And now let's dive into today's episode. Hey, everyone. Nice to have you back for another episode of the Art of Coaching podcast. I am joined today by my friend, Charlie Weingroff. Charlie, it's nice to have you on. What's up, man? How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. We don't get to do this often enough, do we? Thanks. It's, uh, everybody's got that thing called life. Where it's the, uh, at least we're on the same, we're on the same time zone. Yeah. It's a, little, it's a little bit easier. No question. Yeah, that definitely makes things easier. Guys, um, to give you some context, Charlie is somebody I've respected for a long time because, frankly, he doesn't pull punches. Um, Charlie has adapted a lot in his career. He's not somebody that singularly defines himself by one thing. He has put out massive amounts of content, but bottom line, he just tells it how it is. And Charlie and I wanted to jump on this call because, as most of you guys know, Twitter can be a very interesting medium in our field. And one day there was a thread And it was kind of the same old thing that comes up again and again, which is going to be the theme of this show to a degree. Um, But it was, you know, coaches talking about, uh, hey, we don't feel like we're we're getting this. We don't feel like we're doing that. We're unhappy with this. And a lot of people talk about what they think should change. Very few people do anything about it. And so I want to get Charlie on here because him and I, we try to abstain from getting baited into these things. We just think that Twitter isn't always the best medium. But Charlie, what was it in particular about this thread that, that caught your eye? And why do you think this issue continues to come up again and again and again in this field? Well, the, the, the topic that, that you're referring to is, is interesting because I think there's a level of distance that I particularly have, as I have never worked in the collegiate setting outside of about two or three months uh, when I had just become an ATC, which I'm guessing was 1997. And you're absolutely right. And I learned the hard way because I didn't did not always abstain from social media communication. And I really changed my perspective of what social media is actually for and and what I want it to be for me. But when it comes to the collegiate setting, there's this consistent, tired discussion that, uh, of how, of how these folks are paid and then what, how that, how that relates to how the individuals controlling their pay or work environment really relates a lot to their job satisfaction. And, you know, when I when 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 we briefly discussed it, as usual, I have a uh, uh, commentary or a or a or a perspective that no one ever seems to, to talk about, which is actually very similar to uh, some other polarizing, tired uh, discussions that that continually happen on on social media, and and some of them I'm, I'm very close to. This one I'm not very close to, and I think that might be why I have a different perspective because I don't have much if at all, of an emotional connection to the strength and conditioning environment at the collegiate setting. And, and I think, uh, uh, basically describing it correctly, that there's a lot of probably really good, uh, very, very motivated individuals that are very dissatisfied with their, their job situation, whether it's how others look at them, how they can communicate with coaches, how maybe how they can communicate with the medical side, which in itself is ridiculous that there's two different sides, uh, or and, and, and how they get paid. And 
you know, one of the things that whether it's, it's meant to be flattering or not, I take it as such that when I came back from Marsoc and started to work independently, uh, you, you learn some things uh, about being a business person where you don't know how much money you're going to make next month. And when you do have success and things start to click in that financial space, you start to learn some things because you didn't know them and, and you, you did by failing and you did by being constantly off that. And, and with that, what are some of the things that you learned when you say you learned from, you know, having to deal with the financial aspects of it? it in particular, what are you speaking to? You don't always know how much money you're going to make next month. Right. And, and you're in a, you're in a tightrope all the time. And the best place to learn is when failure is imminent. Yep. And part of part of changing these. I know you talk about, well, don't 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 complain, or if that's even the right word, because I don't think complaining is a bad thing. It shows that you care. Sure. Uh, but uh, and and sometimes being negative is just being objective. This whole thing of effervescent positivity, I, I don't think is always uh, available, practical, or even part of the answer. But how about taking some steps to, to get out of that of that situation? Because when you know about business, people get paid what they're worth. You can have a self-worth. You can tell anybody what you think you're worth. And when you start a business, you set the price the first time. But after that, the market decides you know, what you get paid. So when I started in New York City, uh, I set the price. And quite frankly, uh, Don was charging a certain amount of money, and he's like, "If the people here, you know, I'm paraphrasing, if if people here think that I'm the man, you're going to charge exactly what I charge, and I'm going to help you be the man." And it's absolutely how it went down. So obviously, tremendous death to to Don for for being my my guardian angel. And Charlie, real quick, can you give the audience a little bit of context with, with the conversation? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I. Uh, I think it might be fair to say that I had somewhat of a, a silver spoon in my mouth when it comes to having uh, job opportunities, and and I know a lot of uh, some of the older folks they, they don't like that I that I say that because uh, you know you work hard, you do okay, yeah, I get it. And so maybe I'll say that okay, maybe I hit a double off the wall, but somebody still had to let me pinch hit, and I walked out of PT school into the NBA. Uh, I was there a year with uh, the New, New Jersey Nets in, in 99-2000. And there's a whole series of you know, very interesting outlier events that no one can possibly reproduce, including myself. It just happened. Uh, but one of the commonalities was you know, hopefully I was doing good work and or people like to be around me, and I was able to get that opportunity. And then moved on. I was in the minor leagues three years. I came back to the 76ers, the head strength coach. You know, to, uh, and then... Um, moved on from there and was able to, to work in sports performance centers and, and really starting to put into practice this whole training of rehab thing. And that was before uh, the, the brand and the DVDs came out several years later. So that's about 07 to 09. And then that situation was actually quite similar to what these folks are talking about at the setting yep. where I hit the ceiling. I hit the ceiling. That was it. I was working for a hospital. And hospitals aren't exactly known for being very progressive and how they value individuals. You sit into this particular control position, if you will, you're going to get paid, you're going to get maxed out. And I knew how much money I was making, you know, for the hospital. And I'm like, you need to, you know, I just started to 
to look for the next best thing. And by that time, the NBA had kind of got out of my system. But of course, even to this date, I would still consider going back under certain situations or other things in pro sports. But that's when Marine Corps Special Operations came along and took an opportunity there and lasted just under a year. And, and then wound up coming back to, to home area, New Jersey, New York area. And what I was referencing before was I kind of had it in my head that I needed to start to do things on my own. And I kind of, but maybe some of the failures that I had told me, all right, it's a, it's a quote unquote, I need to be my own boss. So I don't run into these failures that I had over the last 10 years with some really, really high profile positions where clinically and, and training wise, kind of doing some, some pretty good things. However, uh, whatever the transgressions that I wish uh, others were more clear about with me, I, I wasn't getting it done. So, and at the same time, there was also a point that I started to realize that if you're going to make a certain amount of money and have a particular lifestyle, again, uh, uh, comparing to what some of these folks are complaining about, they don't have the lifestyle that they want. Right. Then I had to work for my, I had to work for myself. So getting back to when you asked for some clarity, Don Saladino and his brother Joe, uh, and still do, own one of the more well-known high-end uh, facilities in New York City called Drive 495. And he brought me in, and that's where he was charging a certain amount of money. And he said, you're going to charge the same amount. And we really haven't looked back. So the perspective that I have is very, very business-like. I run a business, and I have multiple people that work with me. Uh, and, and the other things that I do outside of Drive, I have no idea how much money I'm making next month. And while when you have a strong business, your projections usually work, but I'm not sure these folks, they really understand that, 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 you know, there, there's people that, that seem to have like everything that they're looking for. And so you actually stand in their shoes. I have, I can, I could lose everything tomorrow. Uh, and, and you work hard to, to have a parachute. You work hard to, to have a safety net and, and save money. But the bottom line is, is when you work for yourself, you have no idea. And you talk about working the long hours. When you work for yourself, the state that I use is that the candy store has to be open uh, uh, in order for people to buy candy bars. And this whole idea of you only get to work certain hours, yeah, that happens in a long, long time when you have a lot of other people working for right. you. You've got a really, really good mousetrap. But the bottom line is, is that when I was in that hospital job, and even when I was at Marshall, even though it was not my decision to leave when I did, I still actively looking for something else. I remember even, because uh, that situation got the sour from the start, my fault, maybe, you know, I didn't ask the right questions. They didn't tell me the right things. The whole thing was jacked up. And, and, and it's easy for me to say that now since I'm in a better place. But I remember starting in like July and I was already talking to an NBA team in February to, to, to fill in a unique position where obviously those jobs don't come up in the middle of the year. And uh, I was seriously considering that uh, from uh, Member of Golden State, and, uh, and they, before before they kind of took off into their to their direction that they are now. But uh, it, it's it's one of the things it's like that no one talks about in terms of that particular Twitter argument is how come you just don't leave? Well, if you can't if you can't change if you can't change the situation because the the market is everybody's getting everybody gets paid what they're worth. Professional athletes get paid exactly what they're worth because someone is giving it to them. And I understand that you, you can't leave even a, a low-paying job with a lot of dissatisfaction to absolutely nothing. 
But what are you doing to set yourself up for the hustle? Because the hustle is where the you know, all those questions get answered. You know, the the uh, I don't know too many people, even at, in, in what seems like a really glorified, really exciting role, they, there's typically stuff that's not quite right. It's not their thing. It's not their organization. It's not their business. But, but nobody's underpaid. People get paid what the market says they're going to get paid. Yeah. And it doesn't mean they're not good at what they do. It's just an effed up market. It is very reasonable that the market is incredibly bottom feeding. It's, it's very possible that the market is, um, is, is highly saturated, meaning there's no reason to pay anybody. And it's, quite, and it's quite possible that the market doesn't value good work. That's all very, very reasonable. You know, those don't sound like uh, roles that most people would want to be a part of. No, and so just a perspective. Yeah. Right. And just to jump in here for a moment, because there's a lot to relate to here. Like we talked about how one thing I hope the audience understands to summarize what you're saying, if I'm hearing you correctly, is, listen, you're getting paid what you're worth unless you do something to change it. And a lot of these arguments keep coming up again and again and again because people don't take action to change and then they wait for somebody to do it for them. And this was what was frustrating for me about this, Charlie, is, you know, I had gotten so animated one year about seeing coaches of all kinds because it's not just strength coaches I, people in the performance community other coaches say these things that me and five other people got together and created a course on it and we were like hey essentially like nobody's coming to save you right like this old way is broken if you want to get the life that you want whatever that means to you then you need to understand that you need to learn more about the business of what you do, negotiation. You need to understand all the, the difference between, you know, commitment and naivete. Because what I loved that you said there, too, is like, you know, a lot of people, they think they're committed by staying in these roles. They think they espouse this moral superiority of which is eventually like cognitive dissonance. Oh, it's not about the money. I'm here because of the kids. But really, a lot of it comes down to the really three levels of commitment. And guys, if you're listening or you're a new listener, we uh, we initially talked about these on episode 56, the weaponization of guilt and not being a sucker. Um, but one of them is people stay at jobs because of affective commitment. They want to. They really feel like they're a part of this organization normative commitment where they feel like they ought to, maybe it was their first job. Maybe they, um, you know, took a chance on them when they hired them, what have you, or continuance, which they feel like they have to. And Charlie, I feel like a lot of this and feel free to disagree, but I feel like a lot of this is people with that continuance level of commitment where they feel like they have to, because these are glorified jobs that they think that the logo becomes a part of their identity, right? Like if somebody were, and I'm just making up the organization here. So I hope nobody gets, if you get offended, whatever, but let's say somebody works for the New York Mets, then they think they're the, the New York Met, you know, and, or, Oh, I'm in the NFL now. Oh, now I worked in MLS. Like you're, it's that old fight club thing where like, you're not your khakis and these organizations don't care about you. So if you feel like you're not getting what you want based off of what you're giving, do something about it. But then I think the other problem is there's so much social, uh, fake rage in the coaching community where the minute somebody states they're not happy or maybe they're looking for something else, millions of coaches, and I'm obviously embellishing, a lot of coaches will jump on them and say, wow, this guy's a sellout, this guy's this and that. Then I dealt with a little bit of that in terms of 
going out on my own. I would imagine because you've made money as an entrepreneur and, and practitioner and you've, you've had that, but like our field just doesn't know what it wants to be. It's in this pervasive adolescence, angry teenager. I want this, but I don't want to do that. And it needs to kind of just figure itself out because I, this is probably the fifth podcast we've done on, on a related episode on a related topic because it still doesn't get through. But every time we release one of these episodes, I get at least 50 people that reach out that are like, that hit home. We need to do it again. We need to do it again. So, yeah, I, I think it's an interesting thing. When you say people need to take steps to make change, Charlie, you know, and I know this is broad because it depends on the person, but just conceptually, what steps, what are like some practical, specific steps you think they really need to take to better understand market value or to make, uh, give themselves leverage or to address the situation? Well, I think everybody's situation is going to be different based on the resources and who or what they have access to. But sure. I think a lot of that stuff just starts with communicating and, and asking. And people that you, people that appear to have things, whatever they may be, however uh, any individual defines success, and you see an, another individual that has those things, there's a very, very good chance that if you reach out to them, they will engage and communicate with you in in a very, very uh, mentoring way. Maybe not so much like a mentor where they'll say things. Um, if, if I if I get, so I, I'm very proud. I have responded to every single message that I've ever gotten in my life. Maybe that's part of why I'm on round two of, uh, of, of, of uh, marital situation. <laughs> but um, a mentor is, is somebody who's going to say things that, you don't you don't necessarily aren't terribly nice, but they believe it's the right thing. So you don't make the same mistakes they did. I don't know that I'm going to be a mentor for somebody who cold calls and has questions. But I will tell you this: if you think somebody has a lot of the things that you want and they don't communicate with you in that type of fashion, then they're probably not who you think they were. Um, the the worst thing that I've said to people is, "Hey, hey, Fred, give me a second here. Um, don't get mad at me. I promise I will return this message. It, it might just be a couple weeks or." You know, we, we, we joked before about being on the same time zone. I was able to communicate with people on, on the Pacific Coast a lot easier because if I had a late night, I could just you know, drive home. I could just call. And I was like, hey, I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand it all the time. But you know what? Sometimes people really get excited to, uh, to, to talk to me or someone who they look up to. And I think uh, would, would talk to them. So I think that's the first step. And from the situation that I do have some awareness of, there's a lot of alumni at these at these big schools where a lot of these concerns come out of that are, are really successful people, and I'm sure they would be thrilled to start to help, whether it's the coach or or mentor, some getting some of that awareness of maybe you're 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 upset about the wrong thing, and you're just the wrong person in a in the right situation, and and I think that's the first step. Just talk to people, like ask them. Uh, and 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 I guess if that if that does turn into a practical or a or a functional approach, it's do you have time in your 24 hours to begin to set up something that allows you to jump out of that plane and have a safe landing? I get it that people can't just leave to nothing, but that's the problem, and I think that relates a little bit to what you were saying before because I I agree. Maybe I wouldn't always describe it the same way, but I think when, when, whether it's just working in sports in general, why do we all do this? Well, we kind of want to be close to where we have incredible happiness. But then when you get to work in sports and it's like really 
high level and there's a lot you get to go on private planes and you get all sorts of gear and, and it's a very very special it's intoxicating and and it, and it, it can it can define you you don't really want to, to leave that situation but there's uh there's there's you're going to be continually insulated from the real world. And I'm sure there's also a whole bunch of other people that don't complain about working in, in college athletics. Um, you know, there's, the, uh, there's that laundry list of Division One football coaches, uh, strength coaches, that seem to have some fairly respectable salaries. I don't, consider, I, don't, I don't hear them complaining about having to work, you know, 80-hour work weeks, et cetera, et cetera. How about communicating with them if they're at your school, uh, et cetera? So I think there's there's a, a lot of different ways. Maybe it means you know, taking some steps to have an online presence so that if you do step away, you do have a little bit of a cachet that people want to be near and, and give you money. Uh, but but the, maybe there's some other statements that I would make that uh, are less practical and more just, just cliches when it comes to understanding that business piece. But obviously, number one is communicate. And number two, put your foot in the water. Figure out a way to, to, to start to understand that there's more to life than that logo. You know, there's more to life than that T-shirt that you can't buy at Nike.com. You can only get it from the equipment guy. And if there's time, there's stories that, you know, like the, the T-shirt is, is a term that, that we use a lot and uh, in mentoring some of these young folks when they, when they want to move into these very high profile positions, but uh, you, know, you should never be embarrassed. You know, you talk about people selling out. You should never be embarrassed about uh, making money. You should never be embarrassed about your financial goals. I come from New Jersey, New York area. Okay, there is no life without finance. So it's a, and, and also when you when you have an upbringing of people that have been through either the, the depression or World War II, which is not the same in all parts of the country. Uh, you also have a different value of of the dollar because you saw people and you know people and you've held hands with people that have lost uh, a lot. People took from them, so you you understand a little bit more about the value of a dollar. But you should never ever be apologetic because if it really wasn't about the money, y'all be in the Peace Corps, okay? You'd, you'd be in the military, <laughs> you know, enlisted, not 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 getting a high GS position like what I did. Yeah, it is. You, you, it, 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 you shouldn't be embarrassed. And the other thing is, when you do get into that situation, remember I said, you start with your own dollar amount. You start with your work. The market will tell you if you're too high or too low. But the, 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 if you don't think you're worth it, no one else will. No one else will. And that's where there's, there's this, uh, a lot of the things that I know you talk about, a lot of these other people talk about, that mental preparation of, valuing yourself because again if you don't think you're worth it then no one else will and by continually accepting situations that one individual thinks uh, are unsatisfactory well all you're doing is basically telling someone else that it is satisfactory and nothing will ever ever change just go just bail just find a new job because what's different in the medical world in the fitness world if you're a strength and conditioning coach uh, and, and you step out into the real world and you hustle, you can uh, you can easily make even money, much less, you know, some folks 10, 12 times. In the medical, not so much. If you're a certified athletic trainer, it is very, very challenging to go out into the real world and 
and make even money. The opportunities just aren't there. So, uh, but I know we're talking a lot about it. it I don't really follow a lot of threads, if you will, or, or spaces that ATCs are involved in. But when it comes to strength and conditioning, just go. Like if, they, if you don't like what you're doing, just go. And 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 because you don't, you're telling the other person that you're okay with it. When you when you cash that check on, or when it comes on direct deposit, you are implicitly saying that you are okay with all of it. Well, a lot of it comes down to confidence. I mean, this is one thing that I've really struggled with lately. Like I made a lot of mistakes, Charlie, of, you know, I, I keep trying to find ways and I know you do as well. It's why we have you on the show, but I keep trying to find ways to help coaches kind of get out of their own way. And I think a lot of that is because I didn't have a formal mentor and I had to learn a lot of things the hard way and what have you. So I'm like, cool. Like, let me try to give people the resources that I wish I would have had. And then what I find is I, I made the faulty assumption. This is what I mean when I say I made a mistake and it, it aligns with what you're saying is I made the assumption that if I provided resources, whether it was valued, whether it was this, whether it was a negotiating guide or whatever, that people were going to use them. But what I've realized is that, you know, there's a percentage that does and they love it and they're in the course and they've been a part of it and they're in our coalition. And then there's just people that like, you know, they have the information and it's just like life. They don't do anything with it or they're even scared to take the next step. I mean, we get so many people. There's one gentleman and I respect him. You know, it, it, it makes me a little bit fearful for his situation, but I respect him every quarter he reaches out. And every quarter he reaches out and tells me how unhappy he is. And he usually, he usually just says, Hey, can we catch up? And, um, I know what, it, I know where it's going. We get on the call and there's usually a couple questions about me and my family and what have you. And then it's almost like his venting time. And I used to make the mistake of being like, Hey man, like do something about this. Here are some options here. You can do this. And, and he always says, well, I'm going to do this. Yeah. I want to get into the course or I want to take this step, but it comes down eventually last year. I just finally told him, I go, listen, I love you and I appreciate, you know, everything that you've told me in confidence and it takes a lot of transparency and vulnerability, but man, you're just, you're not confident. You're not confident enough to make change. And you're, and at first he got really pissed and, you know, and then eventually he just said, no, you're right. And I think that's, that's pervasive within our field because you do have, and I think it was Tim Karen uh, that said this, and, and I've talked to Will Greenberg about it as well, who was with the Buffalo Bills at, at the time of this recording is they both kind of say, here's the deal. We have a field that mainly a lot of the people in strength and conditioning were average to slightly above average athletes who got into the weight room, were kind of the underdog try hard types, and they're fiercely competitive, and they're a little bit insecure in general. And then all of a sudden when they're met with certain challenges that can't be solved with sets and reps, they really start to struggle with finding alternative solutions because they're just – a lot of them don't have that education or if they do have the education, they're not confident. I really do think, and again, check me if you think I'm wrong here and I'm not, I'm not saying everybody, but I do think the field in general, the performance community has a major confidence issue and that's why they seek all these positions and titles and things like that. I think they're looking to fill a void because they're just not a, it's not a confident lot in totality. Would you, would you agree? Feel free to bash it. Uh, I, I don't disagree. It's hard to say that I agree strongly because I don't think of that. Sure. I don't think, I don't, uh, hey, do I think so-and-so is confident deep down? It's not typically how I think, uh, particularly if I don't, I don't know the person. But what you're saying makes, makes a, a tremendous amount of sense. But there's certainly no, there's certainly no bashing. Um, I just, uh, I just wonder what is it that is part of the athletic mindset that, would entail some way, paraphrase, 
that you do whatever it takes to win that is missing when all of a sudden we're in this supportive role for the athletes. Yes. Where, where I, I don't, I, if, if the answer to that is confidence, then I, I can't say that it's not. Uh, I don't know exactly what the, uh, what the, what the word is, but I also think it's, it's also structure where it, and, and how that structure is communicated, where uh, the, the type of conversation that, that you had with, with uh, that individual, I probably had similar uh, conversations, and, and I would probably uh, recall different conversations where uh, I, it, hopefully it's in, a, it's in a small room, and, you, and, and I would make an, a tremendous effort to never sit across from the person. Uh, nothing good happens when people are communicating across from each other. Yeah. So I'm sitting next to the person. Let's say I'm sitting next to their right. And I put my left hand on their leg and I'll say, Brett, listen, man, it's time to knuckle up. Like, this is, I'll help you. And, and, and I'll help you only as much as you'll take. And I don't even know how long this will take. So it's a very empathetic or even in that type of situation, sympathetic situation. And, and in other situations, whether I'm sitting next to the person or not, I might communicate a little bit differently, uh, like I'm from New Jersey, and use words that would maybe uh, hopefully attempt to create the same endpoint, but sometimes people need to be shocked a little bit uh, and communicated differently uh, in, in, in obviously what appears to be disrespectful, um, using, using words that are not always uh, appropriate. But uh, is that confidence that's missing? Well, it could be, but I know, I, I, do, I do think what's missing is structure. Like who does, you named a couple people that I, that I know well, uh, so I'll, I'll, I'm okay uh, uh, saying their name as well. And, and I don't know that they're in situations that they're not happy. But when you say Will Greenberg, like, if, if, I, I would, you know, like, does, does Will Greenberg have a, uh, individuals that he can communicate with on a, on a consistent basis and a safe basis and an honest basis that will help him have a situation that when he moves on from the Buffalo Bills that will be there for him? Sure. Was he doing anything during that? At time, with whatever minutes, seconds, days, hours that he has while he's in the NFL, that is not unethical, that does not challenge the commitment that he made for the agreement that he did make in order to work there for this amount of time, for this amount of pay, that can set him up. Because you're not being disloyal. You're not being double-dipping. Now, if it, if it uh, impacts the agreements that you did make, well, then it's unacceptable. Right. And I had a call, I, I had a call like that right now, uh, this morning where somebody is getting paid probably what you know, he's a he's a he's a director at the at the NBA level, and we're talking about when he moves on. And I'm going to have another call like that tomorrow uh, with with someone who we both know, uh, who you know, because I, I was that person, and and because maybe I'm good with my hands, or I'm a good coach, or I'm good enough, I kept getting other high profile opportunities. But I mean, there's no way that's going to keep happening. And now you you have to get into these other situations where you, you have to make build your own parachute. My parachute, I didn't know that it was going to be there for me. When I went to Marshawn, I, I, I didn't think I was going to be there forever, but I thought I'd be there at least a couple of years. And uh, that, while I was at Marshawn was when my first DVD release, uh, Chain of Rehab, was the first one. And that made a ton of money. I mean, I think it's, at least as of today, it probably sold over 1,200, 1,300 uh, 1, copies, which for a train-to-trainer thing is, is, is really uh, staggering. Right. So I had all this money from that first DVD and I, and I remember telling my ex-wife that I said that this is going to be like for a trip. Like this is going to be for like uh, Australia or something. Like, like, 
all of a sudden I don't have a job. You know, and I don't I don't have I don't have I don't have any income. And that was my parachute, but I never intended it to be my parachute. Uh, but I also never did anything. And in fact, those those DVDs were filmed before I even got to to, to Mark Scott. So it's an interesting uh, uh, thing, whether it is confidence or not. Uh, look, it's not about like being concerned or being off balance uh, or or like looking, you know, being being a little bit scared of the future. But you got to go because at some point we learn from mistakes. The other thing that I think most people are missing when you're most people, and this is also the reason why you know people just leave. There's not a lot of age in collegiate strength and conditioning. There's some, there's some, but you know, there's, there's, I don't, I don't see the, the 47 year old with three kids that's still messing around with a with a, a low paying job at the Division three level. Mm. Uh, I, I don't see that. You know, just because I don't see it doesn't mean it's not there. Right. But but the uh, when you're young. You can sustain mistakes. You you're, you still have significant time to generate revenue and to create life. When you get to a certain point, you have more responsibility. You 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 can't you can't make those risks anymore, and you're kind of stuck. And 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 it's it, and it literally too late. It's too late when you're you get past a certain age and you have real life responsibilities that you really figured out a way to make ends meet. You're not going to make any more ends. And they're not going to meet because you don't you won't have the opportunity to to step out and create. Is that confidence again? Again, I, it's not a word that I attribute to. To me, it's structure. Now, is it confidence that doesn't get you the structure? Likely, likely, likely. It certainly makes a lot of sense. But I just wish that that these types of thoughts would uh, don't be embarrassed. Don't be embarrassed. Like if you really want to do something on the internet, do it and do it better than everybody else. Because the internet is not some demo, social media is not some democratic message board. It is your marketing. It is your store. People can't come into your store and say that your clothing on the rack is garbage. You get escorted out of the store. Say what you want, and people will respond if what you're saying has resonance. I don't know why that's selling out or, or that's, it's uh, well, a lot of it. A lot of thoughts. Yeah, I mean, it, it, like a lot of it, and and the reason I use confidence and to tie in with what you're saying is in, in in full transparency. When we created the course based on this stuff, you know, understanding what you're worth and and commu- and getting like understanding true value and what that means and how to change your situation for the better. When we created that in Valued, we obviously did customer research, so we reached out to about a thousand people. I hired a third party research f- firm, and. We analyzed a survey. They did eight in-depth phone interviews, a bunch of niche, like kind of research and and a mix of, you know, kind of written questionnaires and all those kinds of things. And and this is what we found, right? So just stay with me for a sec because this is uh, understanding the audience and what their pains and fears were went a long way to me helping better understand kind of these recurring issues, which is what we're talking about. Why do these issues keep happening? So what we found is the majority of people that – were engaging at least with this kind of content that said they want help in their career, they feel stuck, or, you know, they're not happy with what they're getting paid, whatever. We found that about 60%, this is around 3,000 people, around 60 per, or 40% were in the team setting, and that's across college, university, um, you know, even Olympic, what have you, like just group settings um, at that level with a formal institution. And then 60 were, 60% were private facility, and the majority were like owners. And so the pains and fears typically were validation. So they feel like others didn't see the values they contribute. 
they have no buy-in from administration or sport coaches. Literally a quote, and I'm not going to read the name just for uh, the, the person's privacy. They didn't give permission to do it over the podcast. So they said, my biggest fear is not being appreciated and validated. Being told I haven't been in the game long enough to voice my opinion or I don't have enough stature within the organization to truly be a part of the long-term plan. The constant lack of communication across domains, uh, he's talking about medical and what have you, um, and even amongst other strength and conditioning coaches is tiring and something I'm not sure I want to be a part of. Now, here's somebody in pro basketball. They had said the importance of good SNC is uncertain in the NBA. Therefore, it's very unfulfilling at times for a coach. It's too easy to attain professional certifications. We have too many people in the field that have done this just because they're passionate, not because they're skilled. And the industry is being saturated with the unprepared, which makes us look uh, silly is essentially what he goes on to say. It's three paragraphs, but um, he just says there's no current way to objectively validate our profession. And what I say with that, because that comes up again and again and again, is how do you objectively validate it? Well, I think people misattribute the value of that. Let's say there was a way to objectively validate who's the best at a certain role. Well, that's completely contextual. That's just like some people think, uh, and I've talked about this on the podcast, there are some people that think a certain pizza place, even if it has the shittiest quality of ingredients, is the best just because maybe their father took them there as a kid. You know, everybody has a different idea of best. And let's say somebody was evaluated as one of the best strength coaches in the world and they were at the, they worked in MLS. Well, does that mean they're also the best at coaching, you know, 12-year-old youth baseball team? So I think people need to be realistic. Nobody's ever going to be able to attribute purely objective value to a role and then be able to get people the job they want. And that's why I'm glad that you talked about, you know, you said we're in a field that talks about doing whatever it takes to win when supporting athletes, but not within their career and not having structure and social agility. I think people are missing that to be the best at something means you're the most adaptable and being adaptable means you take control of your shit. You take control of it and you adjust to the situation and you see it for what it is. Um, so that's the only reason I use, I use confidence is because we've had so many people, many of which became students in these courses that were like, yeah, I was scared to pull the trigger. Um, so I just kind of, I'm influenced by that term because I see so much of that in my email of like, Hey, I'm scared. I'm uncertain. I'm not sure what to do. And so that's why I love your message. You're just saying, Hey, like it's, it's time to tool up. Let's go. Like, cause what, what's the other alternative? You're going to sit here and rot until they find somebody else that's willing to do it for 10,000, 20,000 less than you that wants the logo even more than you? What are you doing? You know? Hey guys, I wanna pause real quick because I know for some of you, this is really challenging subject matter. I know there's many of you listening that feel stuck, aren't sure how you feel about just the subject of pay in general, especially because you got into this field not because of the money, but because you wanted to serve. And so hearing about these things can maybe anger you, frustrate you, or just kind of leave you vacillating and not really knowing what to do next. Well, we're continuing this discussion and we want to invite you for a free webinar on June 10th at 11 a.m. Eastern. All you have to do is go to artofcoaching.com backslash unstuck. That's all one word, artofcoaching.com backslash unstuck. And we're going to be talking about the three things strength coaches and leaders in general need to know to get unstuck in their career. Listen, fewer than 20% of coaches who apply for a job even get an interview. Most coaches have no backup plan, despite the fact that they last less than three years in their current role. And the vast majority of strength coaches in their 30s and even in their 40s are in debt. 
And it's not just strength and conditioning that deals with this. It's a lot of professions where people are givers and they're trying to serve others. So we're trying to take action because it's one thing to complain. It's another thing to ask governing bodies to clean up this mess for us. It's a whole different thing to take action. So make sure you go to artofcoaching.com backslash unstuck and register for the free webinar now. All right, back to Charlie. You know, I, I found uh, right before you, you began that piece was that uh, uh, my, my tone and how, and how this is going is like, I finished my, uh, my, my finish to this might be like, well, if, if what I said sounded like a, a kick in the pants, then maybe uh, somebody would, you know, uh, benefit from that. That's what I feel because the thought, you know, what, you know, to, to continue in these undesirable situations, it, it, your head's going to hurt because you're banging up against the ceiling. And sometimes you didn't know that, that the ceiling was there uh, because you were blinded by the t-shirt that, that you can only get at, at that type of a role. And I don't think this is isolated sport. No. There's probably some garbage, you know, low-paying relative to, to the city uh, and, you know, financial analyst role, you know, oh, you're a financial analyst. Like, you realize you're, you're a glorified intern. Like, these are not people that are getting paid for doing, like, the grunt work, uh, for, for other, you know, people in, in the finance world. So I don't think it's just isolated support, but whatever intoxicates you from the job, you know, don't do it for that. That's a hobby. That's like, the, you, you mentioned the, the, the commentary, which, which I think, uh, I think is, is more enough when it comes to MBA, obviously, I, I do feel very, very competent to discuss. Yeah. It's sociology. Yeah. That was a sociology, uh, uh discussion. And, you know, those things of like, is it valued or is it understood or et cetera, et cetera. But you know, a lot of times in these podcasts, I'll, I'll tell stories that are individual based and, and drop names, et cetera. I'm not going to do that right here, but, but one, sometimes this conversation is, it's almost like if you and I role play, you know, Okay, you you do reach out because that's what I'm. I'm not begging anybody to reach out to me, but yeah, the, more people listening will probably figure out a reason why not to reach out to someone, <laughs> and, they'll, and they'll figure out more reasons why not. Is that competent? Obviously, or or they're not going to reach out to me while Charlie's never worked in college. Right, right they love that's doing the exact that. Reason, yeah, that's the exact reason you should reach out to someone because he doesn't, he or she doesn't care about what you care about. Yeah, uh, I care about quality training, and you know what? You want to talk about sociology, but I see maybe that's part of the problem. You know, you know in terms of what uh, what we see uh, at the professional level when you see these kids on break, etc. So we can talk about that a little bit, but I don't think that's the scope of this podcast. No, we listen. We can go anywhere because you bring up an excellent point. I want to make sure everybody heard what you just said, guys. Too often, coaches and and Charlie's right. It's it spans it's it's pan domain will say, oh, they're not in my setting, or they don't know what it, oh my God, have I heard what that's like? I mean, we, we run workshops where, you know, instead of one coach was like, well, I'm not going to go to this workshop. You should come here because you don't know what it's like in my setting. And like, what the hell, like, think of all the, that would be like people telling Leonardo da Vinci, um, you know, you've never flown a helicopter. So why try to design one? Or you don't know what it's like to, uh, you know, dissect a body. So why would you even try to do that? Like, why would you try to learn from all these disparate, seemingly disparate domains to connect the dots? Great, great leaders are great observers. They don't need to live your life. They just need to have a keen understanding or seek to understand. And that doesn't just come 
from experience that comes through observation, question, asking, asking, learning, being able to have an open mindset. That's more, an open mindset is way more important than whether somebody is, you know, coach the eight groups a day that you coach at like seek outside opportunities because nobody like you think Elon Musk learned how to create Tesla's because he had some esoteric experience already working on those kinds of automobiles or he had somebody like, no, like these are the, the, the interconnectedness between shit, Charlie, is what our field misses again and again and again. It's why they have art and science debates. It's why aren't we getting paid debates? All these debates are because people just want to think black and white. Well, I, I definitely feel like the answers in one profession exist in the neighboring profession that, that you don't talk to. Yep. You think, you know, and whether it's for good reasons or, or not, not as good reasons. But yeah, there's the answers, like the answers that solve uh, athletic administration type issues live in in other sports, and that's why we see in a lot of pro sports. Again, I'm most you know close to the to the NBA. There's you know the, this 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 individual who never even played basketball, but their passion and their expertise is in data analysis and statistics, et cetera, et cetera, and that has revolutionized uh, essentially evolutionized. I'm not sure which it, it, the the game, and, and but certainly has changed. Uh, how the, the the sport is managed at a technical level, but um, you know the the let's say someone does get past whatever those concerns are in terms of communicating. Yep. And and I would just ask, you know, Brett. Like, so so Brett, you, you just had a child, and and you, you're in Atlanta. You, you can stay in Atlanta, and then in your mind, like, why does why does he have to be Atlanta? <laughs> well, you know what? Because Atlanta costs money to live in yep. and it costs a lot more than rural Georgia but it costs a lot less than New York City. I can't begin to help you from all this business stuff that you are at least willing to give a chance to listen to because all you have to do is just hang up. You don't have to do anything a mentor tells you to do or you don't have to follow advice because then we have to start to establish how much money do you need. You have to answer questions. The sooner you know where you want to be the easier this route, the easier it is to, to pull the, the parachute. Got to periodize on, your on career. Yeah, you have to, and, and, and like, well, I don't know what I want to do. Okay, that's cool. That, that's fine. You, know, like that's, you, can't, you can't generate that kind of emotion and foresight if it doesn't there. Yep. But the sooner you do know, the sooner you do know what it is that you want to do, I, I know for, you know, we both know, that uh, a, an individual who, who we both uh, have had tremendous relationship with, he knew in the early 90s at Georgia Tech what he wanted to do in 2020. <laughs> and that's how, he, that's how he accomplished that. Yeah. And that's how amazing people can do those things. You know, you can also win the lottery and you can step in poop. But when you, when you try to plan uh, an attack and, and plan a, uh, your, your life, the, the, the starting at the finish is mandatory. How many kids do you want to have? Do you want to have another kid? Do you live? Do you, what kind of facility do you want to have? Well, I want to have, uh, uh, you know, strength and conditioning and rehab. Charlie, I, I want to do what you do. I'm like, okay, I'll ask you again. What kind of facility do you want to have? Do you want to work there? Do you want to run it? Do you want to take your kids to baseball practice at 3 p.m.? How many cars do you want? Do you want to get that new Tesla truck that's coming out? Which one do you want? Do you want the one with one engine or two engines? I feel like you need that, Charlie. Well, I, I, and 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 that's and then once you once you have that 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 started to finish, you can then build out a business plan for your life because you're telling me you're failing, yeah. you're not happy, 
I mean, there's, there's, there's other things too that that's one, that's one thing. I don't know how long it takes to do different for different people. And then you have the 151 in one rule and you've never heard of the 151 in one rule because I made it up. <laughs> uh, and it, and it, it comes from influences, but a hundred percent, you'll start to feel safe and in control of your life when there's a hundred percent of what you need, 51% of what you want and, and, and at least 1% of what's nice to have. And those are just my words. They're all just semantics. But something that you need is that if it's not in your possession, in 7, 14, 21, or 30 days, life is dramatically different. So a lot of that has to do with finances and a lot of that has to do with family. That's that you, you need to, so you write all that stuff down under the 100 column. And then in the 51 column, it's all figurative, but you need at least 51% of what's nice to have. What's something that's nice to have, it's in your possession. It cannot be replaced with anything else. However, if you didn't have it, life wouldn't be over. For me, that's going to Disney. So if I don't go to Disney again ever in my life, then I'm going to be cool. Everything's going to be okay. But there is nothing that provides my life to a particular type of enjoyment, fulfillment, blah, 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 than when I go to Disney World. All right? So you need at least 51%. And then you need at least 1% of what's nice to have. So again, it's something that brings you great fulfillment, but it can be replaced with something else. So I want a Resvani truck. I'm not going to spend $350,000 for a truck because I can replace it with my $22,000 Chevy Cruze that I drive in and out of New York City. So now you've got this list of 151 and one, needs, wants, and nice to have. Needs and wants, that might sound familiar because in then you want nothing and need nothing. And what I'd like people to start to do is once you stare at that whiteboard, you're going to take things as time goes by, whether it's a day, month, year, a decade, you're going to shift things to the right. You're going to put things that you thought you need. I thought I needed to be in the NBA. There's people listening that they thought they needed to have that size extra medium T-shirt with the sleeves pulled up and, 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 and show up to the University of Division One, wherever, when you didn't need that. That wasn't who defined you. That was just something that was nice to have because there's no way it can be replaced with anything else. And then the things that you thought they could be replaced, you'll put them into the, into the final category. So needs, wants, and nice to have. And the reason you want to shift everything to the right is because it's a lot easier to have 100% of less things. It's a lot easier to have 51% of less things. And it's damn sure easy to have 1% of a whole lot. Yep. So that's a... Uh, so those are... And there's other exercises, if you will, that I have been taught. No one taught me the 151 and one. They certainly taught me to start at the finish for the more questions you can answer about what do you want to do? What do you want to do when you wake up and nobody remembers anymore? So if you're a sellout, nobody will remember that you're a sellout when you have a boat and a, and a house on a lake in Idaho. <laughs> right, and you won't give a shit. you want and nobody cares. Yeah. Nobody cares. No, Charlie. That's the attitude. I wish people could take on social media. Yeah, I mean, it's... Just hang out with your friends. Like, it's not meant to be this debate and uh, make some sense. No, it's an attitude of abundance. No, no, it's an attitude of abundance. Here's the thing, right? Here's what drew me to you initially, right? A lot of people are drawn to you because with respect to what you do in many ways, you're a genius, right? You break things down in a very unique way. Uh, You speak well. You organize it into systems. You deliver. What drew me to you is actually your abundance mindset. The first time I met you, you didn't do this whole, ah, here's a younger guy, here's this and that. You're like, hey, how can I help? Because you understand that this field, and this is kind of what you're speaking to, this field is not a zero-sum game. 
right? Like we're trying to play a non-zero sum game here to elevate a field that is young, often not taken seriously and no, not a lot of people in their career happily. And so when people like, it's amazing. You'll look at musicians and I'm, I'm hugely influenced by, by music. And I know people have heard this before, but they don't mind the analogy if, if they kind of follow along is I look at Jay-Z now, Jay-Z isn't somebody, I didn't listen to a lot of him compared to as much as I listened to like Eminem and 50 cent and, you know, Biggie and Tupac. Cause I'm a big hip hop fan, but I appreciate the fact that Jay-Z like Prince owns the rights to all of his music. He set himself up so that nobody can bastardize his work. He can do all these things. And instead of like a bunch of musicians, except the ones that are resentful, aren't sitting here being like, oh, screw this guy, whatever. They're like, no, he taught us a path now. This guy's actually teaching us how to manage the later parts of our career and how to negotiate. I mean, he turned down a significant tens of millions of dollars at Def Jam in exchange for owning the rights in perpetuity for his music. That is a move, man. And that's like, that's something I dealt with when, when I left LA, there was a lucrative job I could have taken, but they told me I'd have to take the book down from Amazon. I'd have to take conscious coaching down because they wanted to hire a coach, not a brand. And I was fine walking away from that. That, if anything, doubled my resolve of saying this industry is horseshit in a lot of ways. And I don't mean that like I don't love strength and conditioning. I just mean from a business standpoint, it's infantile. Because what you're talking about is right. Nobody's going to care about, oh, like you, like if you provide value to people and you don't bullshit them and you expand the opportunities for other coaches, who cares if one angry person calls you a sellout? It's a lot better than, you know, all this, oh my God, it's value signaling. Coaches just in an echo chamber. Every, every week there's somebody on social media being like, coaching is a calling. It's not about the money. All those people doing it for money, they're wrong. It's like, okay, morally superior dude, you know, whatever. And here's the other funny thing. What you're talking about, and, and I love it, is being an entrepreneur. And if people did their etymology, you'd understand that coaching, by being a coach, you are an entrepreneur. Literally, the definition, and I am reading it, right? Like right here, a person who organizes, that speaks to your systems, Charlie, and operates a business or businesses that takes on greater than normal financial risk in order to do so. Now, let's say you guys are in the team setting listening to this. You're like, I don't operate a business. You operate within one. You're an, or, you're, you're an entrepreneur within a business and you take on greater, than, greater risk than normal because you, you should have ample skin in the game. Whether that's your athletes getting hurt or the results of your work or, you know, if you do own your own facility financial. So, like, you are an entrepreneur by being a coach. You're a problem solver. And and that just goes back to, like, literally the earliest definition of that word of French origin is to undertake. Somebody who mother effing does. So, uh, yeah, I, I love what you're preaching because there's a lot of people that aren't going to listen to me. They're going to listen to you because of everything that you've accomplished. And you're preaching a message that is salient and people need to pay attention to. I gotta, you know, we're, we're not filming this. I have a huge smile on my face because I thought you were, I thought you were gonna go a slightly different direction with the punchline, and I thought what you were gonna say, and you might still be saying it. So if I cause you to drop the line, it's, it's my fault. <laughs> is it? Is it? Is my? Am I not correct that JD uh, said that I'm not a businessman? I'm a businessman. Business man. <laughs> man, and and that's like. So a life plan is just an individual business plan for your life. Yep. Business is about growth and it's about evolution and revolution. And and uh, which is a term that I that I really fell in love with when I heard it uh, in a conversation with someone else, um, Kane Rye's name. And um, yeah, it's a uh, you know, it, 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 you are a business. Just because you're a salaried employee doesn't mean you can't have a business outlook 
on your life. Yep. And great business doesn't just, I think there's also significant confusion for running a business and working for yourself. I probably do work more for myself than I have a business because if I go to the Bahamas for three months, my income will, will change uh, fairly, uh, if not significantly, at least reasonably. But that doesn't mean you can't still think like a business person. Yep. And um, because that's a big difference. You know? and, and I think that's where when people choose a lot of times in our profession, the only way to get out of that rat race is to work for yourself. And the only way to work for yourself is to have this self-sustaining entity. But that in no way, shape, or form means that you have any business running a business. Right. So um, that's, um, you know, that Jay-Z line is very interesting where he is a business because, uh, and, and we're all business. So, so these, these, these folks that, that have um, the tasteful situations uh, by their standards, then just talk to somebody who runs a business and ask them, what, what should I do? Don't ask me, don't ask Brett, whatever. It's intimidating because we all think we're equal. Um, you know, and, and so, so just talk to somebody that's not even in the profession because they're not going to tell you anything that's emotional because they don't care about the same thing, meaning they don't want the same thing. They don't have the same nice to have. But we all need the same thing. And, and uh, that's the... You know, I, I'm glad that we were able to get to potentially some practical things. I didn't know what we were going to talk about, but you know, the start at the finish discussion, the 151 and one discussion, and there's a lot more to it than what I'm saying. It, it, it could be a whole. Yeah, it's okay. We'll do a, a part two. Hour, you know, the uh, of, of just that and 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 um, you know where it came from and, and the whole Zen conversation that, that happened with Dave Penny years ago after I interviewed uh, was a, uh, for for a director job in the NBA, but. Yeah, the, the, and then also just, just communicate with people outside your profession. And when you're in college, I, I, maybe I'm wrong, uh, but you remember, the college situations that I'm familiar with are still fairly high-level situations. Uh, so I'm guessing the alumni are a lot closer to major Division One you know, sports than the, the, you know, you have girls, whatever, and sailing and, and men's bowling, and, and maybe, so maybe the alumni aren't that close to those situations. Mm-hmm. But if you're uh, alumni or, or friends of the program, these are people, there's a reason that they're in their position and they want to help. They want to, they want to talk and they want to help people. And um, you know, at the same time, if, if they say something that you don't like, or even if you find insulting, hit pause, hey, is this person saying this to hurt me or is this person saying this to help me? And, and if you can't hit pause, then maybe you're not ready for that conversation. Agreed. Because I, I might say something that is negative in some way, but I just wish that in my experience, people would say, hey, what, why, why would you say that? Does he really want to hurt me? Why? And then why would you want to hurt me? Like, there's nothing, like, you, know, I'm, I'm, you really think I'm that bad of a human being? Maybe I am. Uh, I don't think I am, but maybe someone else is. I don't know. But I, that person is not going to take the call. They're not going to have that conversation. With you. They're going to they're, they're going to help you, and you have to. We learn by mistake. If you if no one's going to make you understand that you're making mistakes, then you're not going to learn. You're just going to keep accumulating. And if you hit the lottery, you'll accumulate a lot. If you don't hit the lottery, you keep banging your head against that glass ceiling and 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 wind up in a profession that makes you even worse. You probably make more money than things at the collegiate level, 
but you're going to hate the job and, and uh, versus the opposite where maybe you like what you're doing, but you, you don't like what you can take. Yeah. So, uh, and I think you summed that up. Well. I mean, like if I almost had to make it an email subject line for this episode, it might be that it might be, you love what you're doing, but you hate your job. Now what, you know? And I think that like, even if that accurately or inaccurately sums it up, it should at least draw some curiosity because I think most people listening that have done this for a little bit understand what we mean. I mean, I know at one point I was 29, I woke up and I didn't want to go to work, but I knew I loved coaching. And so it wasn't that I didn't want to go to work because I didn't love coaching. It was that I just felt like it was on groundhog day and it was going nowhere. I was just coaching six to eight groups a day in perpetuity. And that part I loved but I didn't feel fulfilled in other areas knowing that I wanted to have a, a growing family, that I wanted some other things. If you were to try to do that, I know I'm putting you on the spot, Charlie, so I'm sorry. You can feel free to just say piss off. But if you were to make it like an email subject line or even the title of the episode, what do you think would consolidate kind of what we've talked about today most clearly? Can I help you? Yeah, how, I like that. Or, or, uh, or how, how can I help you? When you walk into a store or you sit across the desk from you know somebody in a in a bank or something. Most of the time, the first thing someone says is, "Hi, how can I help you?" And if you're gonna willing to give me your time, I am going to be willing to to help you. The first uh, I've seen a couple uh, clients patients this morning, uh, two new ones in a row. We sit down. I say, "Tell me what's going on. How can I help you?" And there, you know. Sometimes when the person is not going to be a good client, they'll be like, uh, I don't know. You're the therapist. Okay. Yeah. You're, you're, so, but 95% of the time, the person, you know, just starts to describe their situation, whether it's physical therapy or their training goal. How can I help you? Because if you don't want somebody's help, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Just be asked, ask people for help. And, 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 and I've offered some help that just came out organically in the nature of the conversation. But you see how, you know, there was a time where I just said it makes me sick and I got all fired up because <laughs> I don't I don't enjoy social media being this democratic forum. Right. Because yeah, I, I you know, if I if, even even now still it happens and I and I stay away from it as best that I possibly can, but I didn't always do that and I hated it. I literally lost sleep. Literally. Like I'd be thinking about this shit at night because it's like, why is this person saying this to me? Why do you even care? Why do you even care? And then, and you know what I tried? Then I tried going at them and destroying them. And yeah, it was probably funny to some people, but then they would screenshot it and then show it to other people. Right. And then it just becomes a goat. Yeah. I mean, it's a reason I don't, I barely interact on Twitter anymore. I mean, I get on to show appreciation for people that have, you know, mentioned something about the book, my, you know, conscious coaching or what have you, because I don't want to be rude. But other than that, I don't engage. Have you, Charlie, have you seen, um, I'm of course, binge watching a little bit of TV now that I have a newborn. And for anybody that shakes their head at me saying you should be reading books or watching, uh, you know, educational stuff, piss off, try when that newborn sleeps, you don't move and you do whatever the hell you can. But Charlie, have you ever watched Mad Max Fury Road? That was on the other day. No, I mean, I know what it is. Okay. Well, I'm a, I'm a Tom Hardy fan. I'm not really a big fiction fan, but I like Tom Hardy. He's my spirit animal where if like, I didn't have to be socially, you know, <laughs> that, that's kind of the guy I, I am, but there's this part where he's driving and this co- coincides exactly with what you're saying and how I feel about Twitter. And he points at this tree and he goes, that's bait. When I was younger, I would see somebody say something or purposefully misquote me or something like that on Twitter, which, by the way, is the only reason I even keep Twitter is so I can keep a public record of people that, you know, like you have to control what you say because people will try putting words in your mouth. But anyway, um, I'll look at stuff and people will try to draw me into shit. And in the past, I do the same thing. I'd be like, OK, here we go. And uh, now I'm just like, oh, I'm not giving that flame oxygen, you know, and, and that's that's I've had every situation 
uh, you know, whether whether I post something to maintain my uh, desired role as what I think is a thought leader, because that's how I get opportunities. Remember, I'm, I, I, I don't know when I'm making next month. Right. So uh, the last the last time I checked, as long as the, as long as the, the check clears, you know, the, the money's green. Like I don't care where it comes from. Yeah. I'm not doing this to make people think that I'm smart. Uh, I'm doing this because I want to I want to demonstrate that I have something that maybe someone else wants. Right. Uh, and but then if if it's something like you know something uh, about the FMS, which is the absolute 100% bulletproof, anybody that says anything negative about the FMS is completely misunderstood. Yeah. And I would love the opportunity. And like I say it in this particular way to get people riled up because. You want to go toe to toe with me? We can do that, and you'll be wrong. And you, you just, you just have incorrect information or incomplete knowledge of what this model. Which let's do that, by the way, real quick. Sorry, because I want to give you the opportunity to do this, guys. If you want to hear an episode with me and Charlie on evaluations, the FMS, things like that, whether you're a strength coach, sport coach, if you're listening and you don't have context, this is basically uh, when we're talking about screening athletes, we're looking at uh, making sure that we can utilize best practices based on what we see with movement deficiencies, competencies, all these kinds of things, which is inherently important if you want them to perform. But if you guys want that, email uh, info at artofcoaching.com. Send us that feedback, and Charlie and I will make that happen um, if his time permits and he's willing to do so because I think that would be a valuable episode. So now, now we got at least three more. We got other people be on your podcast. That's all good. We'll but, spread it out. Uh, you know, I put something that I I believed in, and again, in 140 characters, it, you know, it's, it's hard to, to to qualify everything that you're saying. So somebody comes at me, you know what I do? Block, gone, delete. Yeah. Oh, like that's, that's not right. You should be you, know, you should be challenged. No, I am not interested in being challenged. Like you 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 don't know what I know, and yeah. I don't know what you know. Like I don't care. Like it's it's and, and I and that's where like yeah it's it's it, 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 now if if somebody uh, messaged privately with some questions that is a completely different story. But now you're because I look at it like the, if the first and I, and I hope these strength coaches you know they like might think of this. Imagine if that was the there was somebody that had a had a big bag of money. They had that giant bag and they were going to give it to you and all they knew about you was that kind of a comment. So if somebody comes and sees my tweet for the first time and they read the thread and somebody's coming at me, even, even if it's like logical, delete, gone, block, like, you know, that, that's, that's not what I'm, that's not what I use social media for. Right. And, and think about that. Like, think about that. Would you, would you, would you walk around like, you know, walking like a pimp, you know, with your shoulders flying all over the place and just mouthing off to people? Um, I don't think you would, but it's, for some reason we think that social media, you can do that. Um, and I, and I, and, and it's so, uh, and then there's other situations too, where, um, that, you know, it's different. You know, I had somebody, um, do a podcast, tagged me in it where the person was talking exactly the opposite of what I was saying. Yeah. They're baiting and you. I messaged, the dude, I messaged the dude. I say, Hey man, listen, I can't stop you from typing my name in and I, I, I can untag myself, but I just want you to know that that's some real bullshit that you know full well that I don't agree with what this person is doing. And when you put my name on there, it draws views or, or whatever. And I, and I told him, I don't, I don't appreciate that. I haven't talked to a dude since because uh, I do hold grudges. And, uh, and, and they never even thought to apologize. He probably didn't think he did anything wrong. And there might be people listening that think there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, in my mind, there is. But that's not what I'm doing. And then you'll say, well, you put yourself out there, so you have to take the heat. 
yeah, I get it. Also, uh, you know, take some other things that make my life uh, a lot more complete, and I'll deal with it. So it doesn't just because I'm not thrilled about it doesn't mean I don't deal with it, but I'm continue try to 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 change that. And that's a, I think that's a nice segue to go back to to really where this is going. Like if you don't like the situation, you got to keep changing it, and you don't have to apologize for your behavior. Like you, you you do what you do for yourself, and uh, when when you do that, you you you're full. Your your tank is full. You're safe. When you're safe, it's easier to help other people in a lot of ways. So um, trying to find out what your safety is uh, goes back to the start of the clinic and the 151 and one, and that's a uh, you know it's, it's it's a lot of different perspectives that no one talks about. Like it's just basic. Well, now they you do, know? man. Yeah. And, you know, no one gets no one gets paid any more or less than what you're supposed to get paid. Yeah. Because you agreed to it. If you're getting paid, that means you agreed to it. Nobody made you agree to anything. And yeah. uh, that's a, uh, a little kick in the pants. Yeah, that's a good consolidating statement. I mean, listen, the, the strength coach variation of that quote, you're the architect of your own life or career, is, you know, you, we already periodize our athletes' programs. Why aren't you periodizing your career? And, you know, it's just okay. it's that simple. Begin with the end in mind. Guys, we're going to make sure to link the podcast reflections to this episode because Charlie has given so much information that if you're not taking notes, uh, you you failed. And I'm using a strong word there. So make sure that you do go to artofcoaching.com backslash podcast reflections. Remember, those are 100% free because I strongly consider listening to this episode two, if not three times and sharing it to a lot of people with a lot of people rather, because this is just stuff that, and if you're that person right now, listening to Charlie and I and shaking your head and, Oh, I don't agree. These guys are idiots, whatever. Like just give it time, give it, give it time. We were there. Like, you know, I, I was that dude and I'm not saying it's going to be everybody, but um, there's bigger issues than like what you guys are worried about with logos or competing against other coaches. That's just small thinking. So Charlie, listen, man, you've crushed it. And guys, I owe Charlie a debt of thanks because I was super late for this recording, my uh, newborn absolutely crapped himself to, uh, I would say, just like a prodigious, like it was a prodigious crapping uh, <laughs> last minute this morning. And so I was like 15 minutes late. Charlie was nice enough. He understood. I just had to run down and help my wife. So, Charlie, I'm sorry for that publicly. Um, but if people want to reach out to you, man, and they, they do want to support your work and they want to learn more about everything you put out over God, the decades, what's the best way that they can get in contact with you or check those things out? So real simple, charlieweingroff.com. You'll find all the social media off that. And whatever the email is off of the website, it goes right to my personal email. And uh, ever since people started to wanting to email me, then uh, I'm pretty sure I have responded to every single one. And I can't really think of too many rotten messages on email. That's awesome. Not quite to think of. So even if I did respond, I probably did respond to those, just not in the way that they wanted to do. But uh, I'll respond. I'll respond. And you know what, too? I have a I have that 151 in one in a, in a PowerPoint. Awesome. Um, and, and, I, and I can leave the slide open so somebody could you know, yeah, we'll link it. Like type it. Yeah, you're meant to, to type into it. And then I have some suggestion about what color you could use in each of those three columns, which has a, a psychological value. And you can just stare at it every day. So I love that. Maybe if that that maybe that's of interest. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, shoot me that link, and I'll make sure to link it in the show notes so everybody has easy access to that if that works for you. Cool. Right, man. cool guys well thanks again this has been another episode of the art of coaching podcast please please make sure that you support the work of our guests that come on this is time that they'll never get back and they're doing it for you so charlie thanks again and until next time brother all righty well done thanks everybody yep.